these bad things happen to people as a way of punishing them. God is quite vengeful. Yes, God is angry. God doesn't really forgive. God isn't able to help you during hard times. He doesn't care about the suffering in this world. God only likes people who are Christians. God doesn't care about your pain. God was very ashamed of me. He wouldn't accept me for the way I was. God would not show as much concern for people in poverty. I've heard people say the thought of a all-loving, all-caring, all-accepting God is, is just a ridiculous notion. The God I wish you knew will be beside you, loving you. The God I wish you knew is the one that really listens to you. The God I wish you knew will see you through your darkest hours. If you screw up, he's still gonna love you. If you can save me, oh, oh you've got a good chance. He will give you strength, and he will give you peace. The God I wish you knew. The God that I wish you knew. The God 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 I wish you knew. To begin with, they try to tell you all the things that God is not, that God is not a caring, loving God. We know differently, don't we? It's good. Six of you do. You're going to heaven. God bless. <laughs> Questionable about the rest of you. Nonetheless, meet God part two. Our text is going to be drawn out of Genesis, the second chapter, verse number seven. How many of you, think about it now, have ever had a brush with death? May I see your hand? You've had a brush with death. Let me ask you again. Some of you are in the dead zone. So one more time, how many of you have had a brush with death? Sure. A lot of you have. And if you've ever had a brush with death, you'll never forget it. Whether it's a car accident, whether it's a heart attack, whether it's a serious surgery that you've had and uh, loss of blood, whatever that case, you understand. I personally had an experience uh, one time with an individual that uh, was drowning, 10th grade, FFA, uh, up in, uh, in North Florida uh, at a camp place up there, but the river's moving pretty rapidly. And, and in fact, he, uh, he got water in his lungs and went down, and I saw him, and he went down again, and it dawned on me, the guy's drowning and uh, need to do something. And I remember I'd been taught, if you get with a person who's drowning, uh, be sure you don't get where they can wrap their arms around you, that you can't move because they're in panic and you can't do anything. So third time he went down, I caught his eye. His eyes were big. He, he just couldn't breathe. He went down and I went down and pushed him up and continued to push him up until we got over to the shore. He thanked me. He has been a lifelong friend because he felt like, hey, somebody came when I, when I needed them. He, of course, he, of course, going down the third time, felt hopeless. There have been other incidents in my life in which I have been with people when they, uh, when they died and experienced death with them. Uh, I've been with individuals who've been in car accidents, and I've been on my knees in the midst of of their situation and uh, prayed with them, many a sinner's prayer, and, uh, and knowing that that life is a wonderful, wonderful gift that comes from God. 
And that's what I want to talk to you. Point number one is, is life 1.0. Say that with me. Life 1.0. We know that God has given us life. So let's see it. Genesis 2 verse 7. Here it is. Old Testament. The Lord God formed the man from the dirt of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the what? And the man became a what? That's how it started. God breathed life into the nostrils of man, and he, we, became a living being. It is a gift from God. Sometimes we take that gift for granted. Sometimes we think, oh, life, you know, wow. I, I was born, I started breathing, and, and that's it. Let me tell you how much of a miracle that is. If you don't mind, the next time your cell phone dies, and I mean you know it's dead, just put it up and breathe into it. And see if, in fact, you can cause that cell phone that is dead to come back to life. And then you will understand that was no easy task, and it's not something that happened by accident. It happened to be Almighty God. And the Word of God says that life, what you enjoy breathing, is a miracle. What do surgeons do? Doctors, individuals on the deathbed or on the table in surgery. If the heart stops, flat lines, they might shock it back for a period of time. But if that doesn't work and continues to flat line, of course, they can keep a person alive artificially. But the, the deal is once life leaves that body and that heart won't come back to, they watch and watch life leave that body all the family members would have said, oh God, why did they have to die? Why did that life slip away from them? We believe that life is precious far too often than what we realize, and we do not want to take it for granted. Well, I want you to know that, that I'm ready to go to heaven. If you are, say amen. amen. You know, but I don't want to go today. Anybody mean to me, how many want to go to heaven, but you don't want to go today? Why? You want to live. You want to enjoy life. You want to have something to enjoy your grandkids, enjoy your children. You want to see them graduate, as many have done so this time of the year. But God says, okay, since I've given you the gift of life, I want you to treat it with respect, and I want you to treat this gift that I've given you with honor. That's why in the sixth commandment we find in Exodus 20 verse 13, ye shall not, you should not murder. There are other texts that deal with the sanctity and the blessing of life. Cardinal Joseph Bernardin of Chicago became famous for, for this article that he wrote, it is the consistent life ethic. His argument is this, that life is such a miracle and in itself is clearly a gift that is derived from the hand of God and therefore it has intrinsic value. Some of you raised your hand a moment ago and you said, hey, I've had a brush with death. And we understand if you've ever had that brush with death and you made it through, then you appreciate that blessing of life that comes when you could have died. Have you ever seen a person choke on something and their eyes begin to bulge out, their face turns blood red, they can't breathe, they begin to frail and point 
and you know they cannot breathe unless someone goes behind them with a Heimlich maneuver and causes whatever's lodged in their throat to come out, they'll turn to you, hug you, and say, thank you so much. You just saved my life. So life is precious, and life is a miracle that comes from God, and none of us, none of us can make life on our own. It is God who gives life. God gives life. Say that with me. God gives life. So if you happen to take a deep breath, that came from God. You say, well, it's automatic. Do you know how quickly God could stop you from breathing? Do you know how quickly your life could be confronted like Mike Williams yesterday had a heart attack? Scared him to death, rushed him to the hospital, heart attack, immediately threw him into surgery, had to put a stent in. He didn't know when he awakened yesterday morning that he'd face a heart attack on yesterday afternoon, and he didn't know that this morning he'd wake up in ICU. Life almost got away from him. But because of the grace of God, he was able to hold that gift. Now, if I've got a life, I want life 2.0. I want to enjoy my life to the fullest. How about you? When I say to you, sometimes you have to make your own fun. How many believe that? You can sit around your house, in your car, in your office, and you can mope and do everything you want to. But occasionally, you you have to make yourself some fun. Enjoy life. Set your mind toward it. But here's what God wanted. He said, hey, I want to give you life, but I want you to have a full life. I want you to have a blessed life. I want you to enjoy all the things that that I have in store for you. And we find that in 1 Timothy 6, 19, it says, okay, hey, for those of you that, that enjoy blessing and you put treasures up in heaven, here's what he says. I want everybody to take hold of the life that is truly life. I don't want you to have a counterfeit life. I don't want you to bank on assets. I don't want you to bank on material possessions. I want you to have a life that is is full. But we have a problem. We have a devil that hates us. He hates life. John 10.10 says the thief, that's the enemy of your soul, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. What does he want to do? He wants to damage your opportunity, damage your potential, damage your purpose from having eternal hope. So the enemy will do everything. He comes. He comes as an angel of light. Often he doesn't come with a horned individual, but he comes to seek, to kill, and destroy. And God knew that. God said, how is it? It seems practical that if I gave you life, It seems practical that if God gave you life, you would think that we would want to serve God, wouldn't you think? That we would want to love God, that we'd want to give our heart and say, had it not been for you, I wouldn't have life at all. I wouldn't breathe. I wouldn't have all the benefits that I have. You would seem to think that's the way it is. But here's what happened. A little three-letter word got in the way. It's called S-I-N. And the devil said, I am, am the creator of sin. And God said, listen, you might be the temptation 
to take advantage of what God has created and every good thing that God has created for your benefit, Satan has tried to manipulate it, tried to falsify it, and try to give you a dream that's not based on God, that you can do whatever you want to and be a good person and know that you still have that life. And that's not true. Here's what Jesus said. In the middle of all that confusion, John 10, 10, I've come that they, that's you and me, may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. A full life, not directed by doubt, fear, and unbelief, not directed by guilt. I heard someone say not long ago, hey, I just can't get into that God stuff. I just can't get into that church stuff. He said, I want you to know I love my life the way it is. I've got a hot girlfriend. I've got a great job. I make great money. I snow ski and travel when I want. I windsurf when I want to. I don't want to get into that God thing and him throw a wrench in the middle of my life. I want to live my life the way I want to. And therein is the problem. So what does the enemy do? He'll let you set up. And some people are blessed and have never darkened the door of a church. Some people are blessed, many are blessed, and never prayed a prayer. Do you know why that is? Because they were born into an environment where their, their mom and dad may show them love. They were born into an environment that might be a middle and upper class home. They were born into an environment and the DNA of parents might have given intellectual genius and had a school that they went to where affection and, and good teaching was there and they graduate from high school, have the privilege of getting into a university, graduate out of that and because they have a skill set and an ability to work, they begin to make money and enjoy life, have a nice, nice home, nice automobile, all that goes with it, and say, look what I have done. But yesterday, there was a horse race. It's called the Kentucky Derby. And to begin with, horse number five. Was it five or seven? Horse number seven. And what was the name of horse number seven? Come on. Who? That's right. Horse number seven. Screen on the television said, unofficial winner. That's the jockey. How does it feel? He said, my dream has come true. I won the Kentucky Derby. But all of a sudden, began to show that there might be a problem. Unofficial winner. So the judges said, let's look at the video. And they took forever. And ever and ever looking at the video. Look at it from this angle and this angle. Everybody that owns horse number seven said, Ooh, man, that's our jockey. The owner said, I see the dollar bills coming in. The horse is only a baby. Many more races it's going to run and win. And all of a sudden, the word came that the judges said, Oh, no. 
horse number 21. What was his name? Who? Yeah, that. <laughs> his jockey said, wow, it's unbelievable. You see, here's what the devil will do for you. He'll let you win, 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 win. But sooner or later, the judge is going to judge. And when he comes to judge, he's going to say, hey, you didn't win. You thought you won. You thought you had it all. I gave you life. You had strength, energy. You had good parents. You had skill set. I gave you all kinds of favor. But you know what you did? You never one time acknowledged who your creator was. And on that day of judgment, he announces the real winners. It's those who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. And he says, you can have full life. Well, here's what I know. A lot of people don't want to engage in God or engage in the church because like this man, it, it just messes your life up. I don't want to throw a wrench in. And you know what the real reason is? Most people say, I'm doing pretty good on my own, and I don't want the God thing and the church thing to get in the way. I like doing what I want to do when I want to do. I don't like answering to anybody. I don't like giving, uh, giving away what my will. I just want to do what I want to do. And you know what God will do? God will just sit back and fold his arms and say, well, if that's the way you want it, go right ahead. Go right ahead. And so he won't get in your way until you happen to listen to a message, happen to read a book. God puts conviction on you. Conviction is the love of God initiated by the Holy Spirit that says you better straighten your act up. You're going to face the judge one day, and you're going to hear him say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I knocked on your heart over and over and over and over again, but you were too busy having your fun, and you didn't want to engage in what I wanted to do for you depart from me but those who received him as lord and savior he says come on in well done thou good and faithful servant you didn't change lanes i've shared this story a couple times i relive it every time i share it my third pastorate we had several when i'd visit i'd visit new people that would come in and and I didn't, I didn't, I just had a few staff. And so I went out to this house where this lady really given her heart to the Lord. I actually worked with her at a part-time job that I had and uh, kept talking to her. And she started coming to church. She's a very simple lady. And so I thought I'll, I'll go out to their house out in the middle of nowhere and, and visit her. And I went to the door and it was a, it was a screen door. I don't know if some of you remember it. You young people have probably never seen one, but it's a screen door. It's got the spring in the middle and you open it up and walk out and the door goes pow, because that spring, how many have ever seen a door like that? And that's the kind of door I walked in. Thanks for raising your hand up there. Uh, I, wa I walked in the door and there stood her husband. He was no shoes, no shoes, no shirt, no problem. That was before Kenny Chesney ever came, Chesney ever came on the scene, friend. He was drunk as a skunk. She said, called him by name, 
This is Pastor Blackburn. He said, Pastor Blackburn, I've been wanting to meet you. Oh, that's good. He walked over on the table behind a lamp and picked up a gun. And I thought, test time. I said, well, I've been, you know, when you often say, I've been dying to meet you. You don't say that in a moment like that. I've been wanting to meet you too. How are you doing? I walked to shake his hand and he backed up. I thought, well, we're in big trouble. Now listen, that's when you know you need to talk a little bit. He was upset. I, I talked to him and et cetera, et cetera. So proud of your wife. Been looking for you in there. I ain't coming. I ain't coming to there. I'm not into the church thing. Okay. You know, I understand that's okay. Everything is good. You know, church thing. I talked. Finally, he settled down. And when he settled down, he turned to go toward the kitchen to get him another beer. And when he did, I didn't need the Lord to tell me anything. I turned and ran. I let that screen door open and slam. I got in my car. I went, thank God I had not locked it. I jumped in my car and I put it in run and backed out of there as quickly as I could. And I, hauled, I, I left rapidly. Y'all not as sanctified as you think you are. I know what you were thinking. Occasionally, I throw a little test out there for you. Anyway, I left. She didn't come to church for the next couple of weeks. She finally came, and she said, I'm so embarrassed, Pastor Blackburn. She said, my husband, you know, thinks that if I come to church that, that he can't have me physically, that we can't communicate, that all I want to do is be at church. He thinks if I come to church, I want to give what little bit of money we have to the church and give it to the poor. And he said, that's what he hated. But she said, you impressed him. And I said, he impressed me, you know. <laughs> it's been 40 years, and I'm still impressed by him. I said, well, how did I impress him? She said, you didn't condemn him. You didn't chastise him for drinking. Well, I'm no dummy. He's got a gun. <laughs> you didn't say he's going straight to hell if he didn't give us right. You didn't try to pray for him. And he was impressed by that. I said, well, thank God. Be sure you tell him that I love him and appreciate him too wasn't long I left that church, of course, took the memory with me and went to another place. The point is, it was in that moment that here's a man that his whole life was working hard all week long, and the weekends became his time to be able just to get drunk and despised anybody that he thought that might help him. You see, when a person is not a follower of Jesus Christ, they're blind to the love that God has for them. But in the end, if we're not careful, here's what I know, that God will bring us to a day of reckoning. And then here's what I know, that unless 
you turn to the Lord and unless you embrace him and you say, I have life 1.0, life to the everlasting. And then you say, I have life 2.0, life to the fullness. God, you have blessed me. Here's what the devil does not want us to understand, that life is better with God than it is without God. But you got to cross that bridge. So David writes in Psalms 34, verse number 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Somebody say amen. And those of you who've been following the Lord, it's a consistent walk. You put effort into it. You're following the Lord and your life is a bit stale. Or you've gotten to that place that you say, one time I had an excitable passion that I have in the Lord, and you find out now, I I don't have that like I used to have. Let me just tell you straight up and down, God has not moved. He hasn't moved. How many of you, when you dated your little woman, sat over there under your arm? This would be back in the 60s. Anybody out there, raise your hand under your arm. You had that bench seat. Any hands up there that I see? I've seen them set so close, you couldn't see her. (laughs) Now we have the console, and that's a bony place to sit. Think, I don't want to get away from you. How many remember when the husband would go around and open the door for your little woman? How many remember it? How many of you brave men still do it? That's right. I see hands up there. I see a hand here. I see. Go ahead and raise your hand. See a few hands. I do it sporadically. (laughs) But you know what? God said, I want you to have a life worth talking about. And for that to happen, you have to stick with it and say, not my will, thy will be done. Oh, I'm a good person. We understand that. But James, the brother of Jesus, he said, it's not your works or your good behavior that's going to get you in relationship to God, heaven. It's going to be through the blood of Jesus Christ. And God says through the writings of the apostle Paul, he says, taste and see and see if God is not good. Here's the fullness of life. Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there are no, are, are no boundaries, no law, in other words. He said, if you get and fall in love with Jesus, and you say, God, not my will and thy will, you're not going to miss You're not going to miss all the things that you thought you were in control of. God is going to take you to another level of satisfaction, you see, to another level. Your perspective of your marriage, and if you become different, your whole life is different. Now I want to talk to you about life 3.0, where you're going to go when you breathe your last breath. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Don't forget that scripture. Just pin it down, 1 John 5.13, because it's extremely important. In other words, we have the gift when we receive Christ of eternal life. It's free. God says, here it is. The second thing that that says, that your, your relationship with God can be, you can be confident that you have eternal life. So you say, well, I don't even know if I'm saved. 
If you committed your life to Jesus Christ, you've been covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, and you are saved by the grace of God, and you can be confident about that. God's not going to dance into your life one minute and say you're saved, and then every time you make a mistake, stuff your toe and say you're not saved anymore. I'm not talking about eternal salvation. I'm talking about real, true, rock solid. I've given you my heart, God, and I'm going to serve you the rest of my life. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to make bad choices. I'm going to do some things that, God, I didn't intend to do, or maybe I did. But here's what I know. If I die tonight, I'm going to go home and be with you in heaven. Amen? Amen. <coughs> College professor asked the students at Christian University, he asked the students, tell me your most exhilarating moment in your life. These are students your most exhilarating moment in your life. One guy raised his hand immediately. He said, mine was, I got to go to a U2 concert in Sydney, Australia. Everybody said, wow. Another guy raised his hand and he said, hey, that's nothing. I, I went to Switzerland and I climbed the Matterhorn in Switzerland. That was my moment. Another guy raised his hand. He said, look at this ring. He said, it is, the, it is the national championship ring of football that I was on the team, a running back. That right there was my moment. A little girl in the back raised her hand, a little tiny voice. She said, mine was my first kiss. And if you would have seen her, you'd have thought, well, wow, so. <laughs> What's yours? What's your most exhilarating moment? Here's the answer when you met Jesus. Amen. But here's even better than that. When you follow him, you have moment after moment after moment in which you say, look what God has done for me. God, I can't believe you came through because I've been a dirty, rotten rat. God, I can't believe that you came through. I made some mistakes and maybe some wrong choices, and you still came and intervened in my life. Life 3.0 says, but if you die... Taste and see if the Lord is not good. You're going to be able to go to heaven and hear him say, come on in. But if you do not know him, he says you're going to an eternal place of torment over and over and over again. That torment will continue to ramp up and you'll be disappointed. Oh, will you be conscious and understand what's happening? The Bible, to the best of my ability, said it's not a figment of your imagination. You will feel the stroke of every bit of the heat and the pain and the torment. So, how did you get here? God gifted you with life. Oh, there was a process. Well, if you're going to be here, don't you think it seems practical that you ought to serve the one who gifted you with life and not be led astray by a fantasy of your own will and say, Father, come into my life. Take my life and use it. And then finally, 
When you say, now lay myself to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, what? Pray the Lord my soul will take. You have no idea how valuable that is when you're young. But the more that you fall in love with Jesus, the more valuable that becomes. I had a friend of mine that I talked with on Thursday, and she said, you know, I lost my husband. I had no idea, I said. She said, yeah. Pastor Blackburn, October the 27th, people noticed that he wasn't acting right or he was a bit strange and and she said, we went to the doctor and doctor after doctor, and he continually got worse. Finally, right before he died, that was October 12th, she said, he died on November the 27th. In less than six weeks, my husband, who taught Sunday school, who ran marathons, who coached soccer, my husband, that was a man's man, died. I hardly had time to get things in order while he was still conscious. But she said, I am so glad. As Teresa said, boy, I've watched Sam. What's so phenomenal about Sam's coronation and the hundreds and hundreds of people? Because just prior to that, Maybe 10 years before that, Sam was a drug runner here in Polk County. Sam sold drugs to young people and to children. Sam did all sorts of things. That's who he was until he came and sat on the back row back there, and God gripped his heart, and he knew I had to get things right. And he said yes to the one who gave him life. And when he did, he came to this altar and gave his life to Jesus Christ. He was a nobody. No one knew him or respected him. But when he came to the family of God, he dove in. I said to him one time, boy, Sam, you're at everything. He said, Pastor, I'm just trying to repay God for all the years I wasted. I said, you don't have to do that. Just be faithful for what you have now. And friend, life is short. So let me just say to you, your breathing right now is God's gift to you. Amen. You get to do what you want to with what you have. But this is what Jesus says. Jesus says to you, I would that you would deny yourself. I would that you take up his message and follow him. And he says, if you do, I will give you life to the fullest. You won't have to feel guilty constantly. You won't feel condemned. You won't have to run. You won't have to hide. You won't have to have lingering behavior because you took another dose of something. He said, you can have life to the absolute fullness. And if you chart your path, he said, I'll give you life everlasting. And then most importantly, if you go to bed tonight and you don't awaken in the morning, you're going to breathe heavenly air. 
If you love God for that, put your hands together and let's just thank Him. Would you stand? Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful today. We heard the simple truth, meet God. Meet God part two. We want everybody listening online, everybody in this room, Father, to have an opportunity to know you as Lord and Savior. We know that if we feel conviction, we can say we are blessed. God, when I was a young person that feel conviction, I thought, God, let them hurry up and pray the prayer and let me get out of here. I didn't like conviction. God, I found out conviction is God's lifeline that says, I love you enough to rock your cage. I love you enough to extend my hand. I love you enough to tell you the truth because I don't want you to burn forever in eternity. And I want you to serve me to reach others in your predicament now. So God, I pray for all of us and everyone whose heart is not right. May we make it right and we'll give you praise. And while heads are bowed, I'm going to ask all of us, redeemed or not, to repeat this prayer after me. Let's do that, shall we? Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I thank you for Jesus Christ. I admit that I've sinned. I admit that I've sinned. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I have misbehaved. I've misbehaved. I've made wrong choices. I've made wrong choices. I've done what I knew. That I should do better. So here I am. I humble my heart. And I say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I'm grateful for you. Take my heart and use it as you choose. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here's what we know of you prayed that prayer and you meant it. Those of you online, you prayed that prayer. I'm telling you that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords entered into your life and say, death, you now have no hold on them because I've liberated them through the power of my blood. You can celebrate that. And if you're in this room, he's done the same for you. Maybe you've been running or playing around or flirting with God. Maybe you've been a good boy or a good girl one day, but put you out there when you think nobody knows and you ain't nothing but a demon. That's yard talk, friend. No regard for God. Well, let me tell you, he's aware of everything you do, everything you think. He has your number. So if you prayed that prayer, it's celebration time for you to say, God, I'm not ashamed of you. As we sing this song, you slip out of your seat. You might say, I've been playing games, but today I want it to stick. Or if you say, I need healing, I need healing. Or if you've got a family member, a child or grandchild that's running away, go ahead by faith, bring them into the altar today in your heart. As we sing, would you react to what God is doing in your life? Here we go, everybody.
some of your leaders and small group leaders come down and help us, please. We have three or four people here. Here. Help us pray. I'm looking for leaders. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If we've ever had a brush with death, we know what it's like to go through that and survive. This gospel is alive and it is redeeming and it's healing and it's eternal. But God, we cannot take it for granted. We are charged with the responsibility to get this precious life-giving word called the gospel to everybody that we know. We're getting it out to those, Father, in Circle J in the next week or two. We pray in your name in this room that we'll all make a better commitment. Not back away, but a better commitment to say, God, I'm all in. I'm not looking for my will and my way. I'm looking for better ways to engage. Because one day, we are going to breathe that last breath. And God, after we breathe that last breath, it'll be too late to answer the call, too late to engage our talent, too late to do what we felt convicted to do. God, we're grateful that you do not condemn us. You did not come to condemn, but to seek and to save that which is lost. So would you heal those who've responded today? Would you touch them, encourage them? Would you touch their family members that are lost? Would you do in the name of Jesus a miracle in all of our lives? And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Don't forget, tonight I'll be here. Expect the unexpected is the message. I trust you'll come. And then next Sunday, it's Mama's Day. Okay? That's yard talk from Mother's Day. All right? Plan to be here. Get your mama. Bring her. Love you, everybody. Shake hands with somebody you think is good looking. We see.